The Hebrews believed that there were three righteous acts that people would engage in if they loved the Lord. Uh, These would be three expressions of their faith. And they were giving and praying and fasting. And Jesus agreed with those three things. And so in this particular section of the Sermon on the Mount, he's outlining the best way to give to the needy, particularly, uh, the best way to pray and the best way to fast. And so in Matthew 6 and verse 1, he says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, and I want you to notice all the way through here, he uses the word when, not if. So when you give, when you pray, when you fast, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like the Pentecostals. Thank you. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. And he gives us this stunning little prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Then in the next couple of verses, verses 14 and 15, he elaborates on the statement of forgiveness, forgiving um, ourselves and forgiving each other. And then verses 16 to 18, he addresses the third of these three spiritual disciplines and that of fasting. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. All the way through, we see this common theme of um, people who do their spiritual acts to be seen by others. And that's their motivation. So uh, when they give, you know, it's holding the $100 bills up, waving them around, blowing their own trumpet. Look at what I'm doing. Uh, When you pray, it's standing in public and it's not against public prayer. Uh, Praise God for prayer meetings and gatherings when we pray together. But we, we do that not to be seen by others. We don't heap up our words so that other people listen to our prayers and they go, ooh, that person's particularly holy. And, uh, you know, they must have it all together because they really know how to pray fluently and all of that kind of stuff. When it comes to fasting, we don't walk around, you know, unshaven. 
or, or even with the beginnings of a moustache. I, I feel the pressure. Um, it was announced at Cheltenham last night. Hattie Issa started this. There is a hashtag already, bring back the mo online. No pressure. But I've got to tell you, there is no way that's going to happen. All right, just telling you. I still look at my wedding photos. In fact, I can't even look at my wedding photos. <laughs> I look at that and think, what on earth was I thinking? Like, Christy, why didn't you tell me? She said, I tried. So this is just great big hairy, I'm sure you'll see lots of photos on the 25th weekend, um, this big hairy caterpillar on the top lip. But, you know, when you're fasting, walking around unshaven with a long face, you know, so people come up to you, Rob, why are you looking so sad? Oh, I'm fasting. You know, and then you think, oh, wow, Rob's fasting. Oh, he's really holy. He's really got it all together. Oh, I wish I was a spiritual giant like that. Jesus says, when we do those things to be seen by others, he said, that's your reward. That's it. But he said, when you do those things, not to be seen by others, look, others might know or find out somewhere down the tracks, but you know, you're not doing those things because you want to be seen. He says, your father who you can't see, sees in what you do in secret, and then he rewards you. And the inference there is that other people actually see the reward of God on your life. We've met people like that. Their life is built in secret. And then we meet them and we chat with them and they go, wow, there's something different about that person. That person's got something special uh, on their life. And you'll invariably find it's because they're building in the secret place. And that's what Jesus' teaching here is all about. What I do in secret will manifest in public. What I do in secret will manifest in public. And that comes to prayer as well. We're not going to touch on the giving and the fasting aspect, but praying. Jesus said, when you pray, and he teaches us two things that I want to touch on this morning. Number one is when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites or the pagans. Jesus said they love to pray in public to be seen by others, and they keep on babbling, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. The word babbling here in the Greek language means to stammer, and it's not having a go at people who have a speech impediment, a stammer or a stutter. But when someone is stammering or stuttering, sometimes it takes them a long time to communicate. And that's what Jesus is using this word for. He said, when you pray, don't take a long time to get to the point. The word means to prate tediously, to repeat yourself or to be long-winded. When you pray... Don't be like that. Pagan prayers back in Jesus' day would uh, often remind the deity that they were praying to of uh, various favors done or sacrifices offered. Uh, they were contractual prayers. And I'm sure we've all been guilty of contractual prayers at different times. You go to God and you remind him all the good things that you've done. Why? Because you're trying to get brownie points and reasons for God to answer your prayer in the presence. present. God, I've done this, that, and the other, um, and, and, and now you owe me. Or it can be like the other way where we bargain with God and say, Lord, I'm in a desperate situation. Um, if you come through for me right now, I promise I'll start tithing. Uh, if you come through for me right now, God, I pray that I'll be at church every Sunday morning. Lord, I pray that I'll even be on time. I promise. And we try and bargain with God on these things. And Jesus says, when you pray, don't pray like that. The Greeks would pray by piling up titles of the deity, um, as, as many titles as possible, hoping to gain his or her attention. 
So you would use all these different titles of the deity, hoping in some way to impress them. Kenneth Bailey, in his stunning book, uh, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, which is a book that, I mean, you don't read this like a novel, but um, it's certainly a book I've been enjoying over the last few years. Um, It goes into various things, including the Lord's Prayer. And uh, he quotes a couple of examples of um, piling up titles in trying to impress other people. In the early 4th century, a Christian historian named Eusebius quoted a decree issued by Galerius, easing the persecution of Christians just before the age of Constantine. And this is how the decree started. The Emperor Caesar Galerius, Valerius, Maximanus, Invictus, Augustus Pontifex Maximus, Germanicus Maximus, Egypticus Maximus, Ebicus Maximus, Sarmenicus Maximus, five times, Persecusus Maximus, twice, Carpicus Maximus six times, Armenicus Maximus, Mediacus Maximus, Abenicus Maximus, holder of the tribunal authority for the 20th time, emperor for the 19th, consul for the 8th, pater patriae proconsul. That was just the introduction. And then he goes into the decree. Why? Because he's trying to impress Caesar. That might impress Caesar, but those sort of titles don't impress God. In 1891, a Persian scholar wrote to an American Christian missionary scholar, Dr. Cornelius Van Dyke, who at that time was a distinguished professor of medicine in Beirut, Lebanon. The Persian gentleman sent a gift to Van Dyke to commemorate his visit to the good doctor. With the gift, he included a covering note, and this is how it began. A souvenir to the esteemed spiritual physician and religious philosopher, His Excellency, the only and most learned who has no second in this age, Dr. Cornelius Van Dyke, the American. As a souvenir presented to his loftiness and goodness, and to him that is above titles, who is a propagator of knowledge and a founder of perfections, and a possessor of high qualities and owner of praiseworthy character, the pole of the firmament of virtues, and the pivot of the circle of sciences, the author of splendid works and firm foundations, who is well versed in the understanding of the inner realities of soul and horizons, who deserves that his name be written with light upon the eyes of the people, rather with gold on paper, at Beirut in the month of Arabia in the year 1891, by the most humble." That's how it began. And what Jesus is saying here is don't do that. Hypocritical hypocritical prayers are built on a wrong assumption that I need to get God to do what I want him to do for me. And I'm going to do everything necessary to get God's attention. I'm going to pile up words, titles. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to make contracts. I'm going to talk more. If that doesn't work, I'm going to talk louder. If that doesn't work, I'm going to shout. If I still need more help, I'm going to talk in tongues. I'm going to talk more in tongues. I'm going to talk louder in tongues. I'm going to shout in tongues. I'm going to twist God's arm. I'm going to move God. Let me just pause there for a moment. I've heard Christians say that. I've tried to find it in the Bible. There's maybe one vague reference to it in the entire scriptures. But can I tell you, God fills the universe. He's big. And if you're trying to move him... As a puny little Christian, good luck. Our prayers are not about moving God. They're actually about moving us. 
Prayer is not about trying to twist the divine arm to bring him in line with my will. Prayer is actually about me coming into line with the will of God and the purpose of God for my life. Amen. And so in Matthew 6, 8, Jesus says, Do not, not be like them. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And so when I read that, the question that comes to my mind is, why bother praying? God knows what I need before I ask him. So, well, you know, well, Stewie touched on this, around the offering. You know, uh, why should I bother praying? That's because God is looking for relationship. He wants communication and intimacy. This is not a business partnership that he's called us into. And so he knows what we need. My, I know what my kids need, but I don't want them walking around in silence in the house. Although, <laughs> suddenly that sounded very appealing. But it would be weird after a while, you know? They're just walking around in silence in the house. And, and I ask, everything okay? Yeah, you know what I need. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I do know what they need, but I want, I want communication. I want relationship. I want intimacy. Uh, I, I want family. I want, and God wants that too. Why? Because he's our father. And so in response to all of that, Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. And he gives us this Lord's prayer that takes about 20 seconds to say it's a short prayer the words are few. And not only is it a short prayer, it's a written prayer. And I think we've had maybe a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction in the contemporary church because, you know, some, some people have come from traditional churches where they recite prayers that have been written by other people maybe hundreds of years ago, and sometimes they view those prayers as being recited by rote. You know, we've heard those so many times that we just know them off by heart, and, and, and so uh, we don't actually engage our heart in them, and that's a distinct possibility, but that's just as possible here in a church like this as well. After we've sung the, the worship songs and the praise songs that we know so well, it's very easy just to clap or to lift our hands and think about lunch rather than engaging. Why? Because it becomes familiar to us. Many of those prayers in the traditional church prayer books have been written by men and women of deep faith in God, often out of some of the most extreme circumstances and sufferings, and they've ended up writing their prayers down as a reflection of their experience and their intercession to God in the depths of those times. And there is this rich storehouse that we should not neglect. And I would add to that as well that a great discipline to, to bring into your own devotional life is actually writing your prayers down. I've started this again just recently and, and it's wonderful, you know, so I'll actually write a prayer or craft a prayer um, and I'll do it on my computer and then I'll read it through a couple of times. I might make a few alterations to it until I'm really happy with it and then I'll print that off and take that into my devotional time with the Lord. Why? Because it's a... It's a, a, a true expression of how I feel and the way I want to address my father. And it makes sure that I let my words be few. And so I encourage you to think about that and pray into that. You see, there's over 650 written prayers in the Bible. Most of them are very short. In fact, the longest prayer in the Bible is Jesus prayer. In John 17, he's praying for himself, he's praying for his disciples, and he's praying for all of those who will believe on him sometime in the future. It's the longest prayer in the Bible, and it takes three minutes to read. 
let your words be few. The shortest prayer in the Bible was uttered by Peter when he and the disciples were on the, sh- on the fishing boat going from one side of the lake to the other. And uh, Jesus came to them uh, in the early hours of the morning, walking on the water. And Peter says, Jesus, if that's really you, call me to come. And Jesus says, come. And Peter, without, I'm sure, without even engaging his brain, leaps over the side of the boat and starts walking toward Jesus. And all is going well until he takes his eyes off Jesus and starts looking at, at the waves and, you know, this blustering gale that's going on. And as he takes his eyes off Jesus, he starts to sink. And I want you to notice that at times like that, you don't need a long King James prayer. He doesn't start, oh, God of creation, God of heaven and earth, I beseech thee in thy holy name that thou wast looked down upon thy son at this time of his suffering and deliver him from the watery peril. <laughs> and then he drowns halfway through his prayer. No, 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 his prayer's short. It's three words, Lord, save me. And his prayer is answered immediately. Let your words be few. You don't have to twist the arm of God with long words. King Solomon wrote about this about 3,000 years ago in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, the first couple of verses. He said, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. The context of this is using many words. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. And so Jesus teaches here about short prayers. The fascinating thing, though, is in Scripture, in the Gospels on numerous occasions, we see Jesus going into prayer for a long period of time. It says a number of times that Jesus stayed up all night in prayer. So how do we put these two things together? Very simply, when Jesus was communicating with his father, his words were few, but the time was long. And so by inference, he spent a lot of time in silence and stillness, in intimacy with his father. And that's what we should do too. It actually takes all the pressure off because you get what we call a comfortable silence. And isn't that lovely? When you're with someone that you know well and and they know you well and you know that you can talk if you want to but you don't have to can communicate if if there's something to say but it's just as comfortable saying nothing and just being with that person and 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 that's what it's like with our father to know him that well and to to love him and to know and be completely secure in his love for you and just hanging out in his presence wherever you are in comfortable silence Kenneth Bailey in the book I mentioned before said, prayer for Jesus included long periods of spirit-filled, silent communion with God that was beyond the need for words. In the seventh century, Isaac the Syrian wrote about stillness, which in his writings had been summarized as follows, a deliberate denial of the gift of words for the sake of achieving inner silence, in the midst of which a person can hear the presence of God It is standing unceasingly silent and prayerfully before God. It's a beautiful statement. I love that. You can hear the presence of God. It becomes that tangible. In this day and age, we are drowning in words, and as a result, they've become cheap. 
In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus invites his people to come into prayer where words are few but powerful. And so Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites or pagans. And when you pray, secondly and finally, go into your room and close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, this is translated in different ways uh, in various translations. Sometimes it's translated as room or closet. And that is not talking about um, a closet where your clothes are hung, um, although you can hide in there if you want to, if that's a good place. If, that's, if you've got kids and that's the only place in the entire house where you can get peace and privacy, then hide in your, amongst your clothes. And if they walk past, jump out at them and make them scared. I love doing that to my kids. It's so good. Paris, our 15-year-old, she tried to do that to me the other day because I love hiding behind, you know, doors and, and stuff and then leaping out and, and making them jump. So she decided to do that to me the other day. And uh, we have a sliding door that separates the front of the house and the back of the house. And I pulled the thing across and, and she jumped out and went, bah, like this. And I said, oh, hi, Paris. And she said, you didn't jump. I said, Paris, it's a glass door. <laughs> I mean, it is frosted, but I can see her. Yeah. <laughs> she goes, oh. Hilarious. So this room that Jesus is talking about, where he says, go into the, your room and close the door. In big houses back in Jesus' day, if they were double story, this, this room would be downstairs. If it was a single story, but larger than normal home, it would be somewhere in the interior of the home. And it was a place that was used for storage, but it was also a room that was used for privacy. It was like a little retreat. And it would be the only room in the entire house that had a door. And so what Jesus is talking about here is finding somewhere, and it might be in your house, but it might not be. It might be somewhere else. For me, the best place to pray is outside somewhere, especially if I can see water. That's, that's like a secret place for me. Find yourself, if you haven't got somewhere already, find a secret place. And then don't tell anyone <laughs> where it is, right? Because if you tell them, it won't be secret anymore. The psalmist talked about this. Psalm 91, he said, uh, whoever dwells in the secret place of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust in him. So find a secret place. Find that place where you can just hang out with God. And you might spend a long time or a short time. The time is actually not, not the the main point here, but that you let your words be few and you settle into his presence. You're enjoying his presence, but you know something that we all need to learn, have a revelation on, and that is he's enjoying your presence too. Amen. And you just hang out together in relationship. He's our father. And so our entire existence is built around our private life with God. If our life is only constructed in a public place, it will eventually fall. Jesus teaches us to form our lives in the secret place with short prayers and much silence. Let your words be few. Let's bow in prayer together, shall we? Jesus, we are so in love with you. We are in, your, in awe of you, Lord God. And thank you for your word this morning. Forgive us for the times we've prayed like the pagans. Forgive us for the times that we've tried to have a contract to twist your arm, 
to keep talking until we get our own way. Lord, we see afresh today that you call us into an intimate relationship. You are our Father who is as close to us as the air that we breathe. We want to enjoy your presence. You enjoy ours. And we thank you, Lord, that you go with us throughout every moment of every day. You're with us everywhere. Help us to be conscious of your presence, to draw on you, to utter short prayers through the day, maybe just three, four word prayers, and to enjoy that constant communion with you wherever we are. I pray that your peace and your presence will settle afresh upon and in each person gathered in this place as we lay hands on everyone in just a moment, Lord, that your power and your presence will fill everybody afresh. This year, Lord God, we want to be thankful as you draw us closer and closer to yourself, that we relax in this beautiful, intimate relationship with our Father. Just while every head is bowed, every eye closed, at every gathering here at Bayside, we want to give opportunity for people to come into relationship with God. You may never have heard of a God like this before who wants to be close to you and intimate with you. Or maybe you did once, but you kind of wandered away a bit, and today it's time to come home. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, but in a moment we're going to say a prayer together as a congregation. And if, as part of this prayer, you want to come into relationship with God as your Father, I just want you to raise your hand where you are while no one's looking around. Anyone at all, don't be shy, don't be reluctant. Just lift your hand up high. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this place that they're on a journey with you, towards you, I pray that you continue to watch over them, keep them safe and reveal yourself to them. And in the right way, draw them, in the right time, draw them close to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen.